Welcome. Glad that you're here. It's a blessing to be here. Uh, like my dad mentioned, um, I don't know that he's really that excited to have me as much as the grandkids around. <laughs> right? It's always we get to the house and like, hey, where are the kids? Where are the grandkids, right? I guess he puts up with us, but it is a blessing to be back here. Um, you know, so many memories and so much time being here and just just foundations of my faith being here. And so it's just an honor and a blessing to be able to come back and to just share with you all um, just, just from the Word. And so if you have your Bible this morning, open up to John chapter 21. John 21 is where we're going to be at today. As you flip in there, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time to come and to be in your presence. Lord, you are a good and gracious king. Lord, we are so thankful for that. We're so thankful that we can cry out to you, that we can draw near to you. Lord, that you're not a God who expects us just to be perfect before we can stand in your presence. Lord, but because of the blood that you shed on the cross and the grace and mercy and forgiveness that you offer to us, Lord, we can come humbly, just as we are. Lord, forgive us for those things that we have done this week that have been um, apart from you, Lord, and just draw us near to you right now. May we come and sit at your feet, Lord, and just be excited that the God, the creator of the universe, wants to speak into our hearts individually. So, Father, bless this time now in your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, John chapter 21. You know, the gospel accounts record for us a few different encounters that the disciples would have with Jesus after his resurrection. We know according to Acts chapter 1 that Jesus would be on earth with his disciples for 40 days after the resurrection, before he ascended up into heaven. And during those different times, you know, Jesus would spend a little bit of time with him. He'd appear to them in the middle of the room, right, Uh, where they were closed away, they were locked, they were wondering what was happening. The disciples had been on a big uh, emotional roller coaster lately. They had gone from the highest of heights at the triumphant entry to the lowest of lows at the arrest and death of Jesus. There was excitement, yet confusion at the rumors of his resurrection. And then finally, Jesus appeared to them. And so they were all over the place wondering what was going on, what was happening, what was coming next. Well, at some point, Jesus tells his disciples to go from Jerusalem, where they had been, up to Galilee. He tells them, go up there and wait. Just wait for me. Now, Galilee is about 75 miles north of Jerusalem and and would be in in an area around the Sea of Galilee there where Jesus would spend a large chunk of his life in his ministry. We know that Jesus grew up in, in Nazareth, and that's in the area of Galilee. Jesus started his ministry in Capernaum, which was there in Galilee. And many of the disciples were from that area, and, and Jesus would call most of them to follow after him in the area of Galilee. So it was a special place. It was a, a place of meaning for them. And it would be during this time that Jesus would want to lay the foundation of his church. But he gives them only a simple command, go to Galilee and wait. If you're the disciples, I'm sure they had so many questions, right? They had so many things that they were wondering. And Jesus had a lot to teach them. He had to teach them how to start the church, right? How to plant that, what the mission would be, what the next steps would be, that he would go to heaven and that he would give them his spirit. All these different steps and plans. And and you got to think about if you're the disciples, you're going to go from your Lord is dead to all of a sudden we're starting a church, what? And so Jesus needs to give these words to them. But he chooses to do so one step at a time. So he starts there in Matthew 28, he says, go to Galilee and wait. You know, that's a lot of times how the Lord leads us, right? 
He doesn't give us the 10-step plan and, you know, lay everything out. A lot of times I wish he would. I'm, I'm a planner. I like to know the things and the steps and, and all these different things to do. But yet God many times just says, do this, and then I'll give you the next step. So the disciples do that. They head up to Galilee and they wait. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. They're in Galilee. They're waiting for Jesus and waiting to see what happens next. So we're going to pick up John 21, reading in verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going to go with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. So here in chapter 21, we read that seven of the disciples are hanging out at the Sea of Tiberias. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. And they're waiting for Jesus to show up, just as he instructed. They're trying to be faithful, trying to wait, right? And Peter decides in that moment that he's going to go fishing, now, whenever you do a topical study, sometimes it's hard to, to remember the context, everything that's going on at this time. But if you think about the recent events, how had Peter's walk with the Lord been lately? It was not so good, right? Peter had been making some mistakes. Think about it. A couple weeks before this, disciples had been with Jesus in the upper room, and, and Jesus revealed to them, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. And Peter famously would stand up and be like, not me, Lord. All these losers will abandon you, and I will be with you to the end. I will die for you. And we know that just a few hours later, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter and the rest of the disciples would scatter. Now, Peter would get his bravery back, and he'd, he'd sneak up to the trial, right? Jesus would be put on trial by the Sanhedrin council. And, and in the high priest's house, he would come outside to the courtyard. But several people would start to ask him, hey, wait a second. Aren't you one of those guys that followed him? And Peter would famously start to deny his Lord. Say, no, that's not me. I wasn't one of his followers. Even to the point where he started cursing and yelling and saying, no, that is not me. I don't know this man. I didn't follow him. And we know that the Gospels tell us after the third time Peter denied Jesus, Jesus, just being beaten by the officers of the high priest, would walk out and make eye contact with Peter. And Peter would see him and realize what he had done and be broken. The Gospels, a lot of times you don't read the same story in all four of the Gospels, but yet all four of the Gospels record for us very specifically that Peter left weeping bitterly. There was anguish in his soul over what he did. You know, Peter is so sorrowful that he wouldn't come to the cross when Jesus was being crucified. And while he had visited the empty tomb and he had been with the disciples when, when they had met Jesus the last two times after the resurrection, I'm sure Peter was filled with shame. He was filled with regret and with doubts. See, he had abandoned his Lord in his greatest hour of need. He wasn't living up to his namesake. His name literally meant Peter. Now, Peter, his original name was Simon, but God had changed that name when he met Jesus in John chapter 1. I'll read a little bit of that story to you. John chapter 1, verses 40, and 40 through 42 tell us one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, the Greek translation for Peter, which is translated a stone. So Jesus would meet Peter, and, and Jesus would change his name from Simon to Peter. Peter, that, that mean means Petros or little stone, right? He's going to be a rock. 
And Jesus would reaffirm this name change in Matthew 16. Many of you know the story. Jesus would go to his disciples and say, hey, who do you say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? And they'd say, well, the people think you're Elijah or maybe John the Baptist or Jeremiah. Jesus would turn to the disciples and say, but who do you say that I am? And in that famous confession in Matthew 16, it says, Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So in Peter's confession there, he says, you are the Messiah, the one, the Savior of the world that's been promised from the time of Adam and Eve, all through the Old Testament. You are the one we've been looking for, the hope of Israel. Jesus reaffirms that name change. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Your old is gone, now you are Peter. You are a rock, a stone. And then he says, on the, this rock, or Petra, which means a large rock or cliff, the rock of your confession, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Peter had a call to leadership in his life. He had a call to strength. He was supposed to be this man that everybody looked up to, this man of strength, a leader, and because Jesus had changed him, and yet Peter had failed so miserably. He probably thought the Lord couldn't love him anymore. Jesus couldn't use a man like him. He had messed up. He had too many flaws. He wasn't worthy to be used. So all this is going on in Peter's mind, while he's trying hard to wait for Jesus, he decides to go fishing. And I've heard this taught one of two ways before. The first way I've heard this is that Peter's just trying to kill time, right? He was a fisherman in his past life. And once a fisherman, always a fisherman. And it seems like anytime I talk to my dad or I talk to, to Pastor Jeff, they're always like, yeah, we just went fishing yesterday or I'm going fishing tomorrow or look at this new fishing thing that I got, right? They're obsessed with it, guys. Right? Let's be honest, they're obsessed, right? <laughs> I mean, they love it. They're passionate. <laughs> Maybe that was Peter's attitude. Spare time, he's going fishing. I've also heard it taught a different way, is that Peter, instead of just killing some time, he was giving up on his call to be a disciple. He's going back to his old life, his old career as a fisherman, right? That's what he was before he met Jesus. He was a commercial fisherman. In fact, we know seven of the 12 disciples were fishermen before they left their jobs to become disciples. Considering all that had happened recently, maybe Peter felt like he had blown it so bad that Jesus would never want to use him again. So his only hope would be to go back to his old life. He wouldn't be able to follow Jesus anymore. He couldn't be part of that inner circle. There's no way he thought that God would allow him. And so I better figure out something else to do. Whatever reason it was that caused Peter to go fishing, we see that he was impatient. He wasn't waiting on what the Lord called him to do. Remember, Jesus had said, go to Galilee and wait. And Peter decides to take things into his own own hands and goes fishing all night long and ends up empty-handed. Verse 3 tells us that they spent all night on the lake and they caught nothing. You know, one clue that tells me that Peter was going back to his old life, that he was giving up on being a disciple, was the fact that they fished at night. You see, don't picture dudes with fishing poles on the edge of the lake throwing a line in. This was a commercial fishing operation. As a commercial fisherman, you would use a boat and nets to catch fish. You would go out into the middle of the lake to fish. You would fish at night rather than during the day. And you'd have a crew to help you with this boat. And we read all of those things that had happened in these verses. So I think that Peter was going back to his old life before being called as a disciple. Now, 
Think about it, too. The boat, you'd have to put a lot of work to get this boat together. Peter had owned a boat, but it had been a few years since he'd used it. And there was a lot of work that would go into fixing the boat and getting ready for it to go out again. Do you know someone who owns a boat? Or maybe you own a boat. I would love to own a boat. Let me rephrase that. I love the idea of owning a boat, right? You get to take it out on the lake. You get to go fishing. If you have an inner tube and a rope, like there is nothing greater in this world to get po- than to get pulled behind a boat on an inner tube, right? It's the greatest thing in the world. But if you own a boat, it's your entire life, right? Now you got to get a truck to pull the boat. And you got to figure out where you store the boat. And you got to maintain the boat. And you got to winterize the boat. You know, boat owners talk about boats like it's a member of the family. Like, hey, me and the boat, we're going out this weekend. And oh, we gotta, I, gotta, I can't do that because I got to spend time with the boat, right? The boat's almost more favored than the dog is. So Peter and the boys here, this was not a quick endeavor to just go get the boat and put it on the lake. There was work. They probably had to mend their nets, get them untangled, patch some holes in the sails, make a few repairs to the hole, get it working again, get the crew ready to do a night shift out on the lake. That's what shows me I think Peter's returning to his life before Christ. Makes me wonder, what was your life like before Jesus? Was it filled with things like alcohol or drugs or broken relationships? Were you an angry person or a gossip before you met Jesus? A slave to money? Were you filled with anxiety or depression or loneliness? And then when you met Jesus and he changed your life, did you have moments or seasons where you were tempted or maybe you even did return to that old life? Maybe like Peter, you messed up. You stumbled in your walk. You didn't think God would love you anymore and you returned to that old way you used to be before. Or maybe just over time that fire in your heart started to grow cold and you left your first love and slowly started to return to that old way. Or maybe Satan has been tempting you, throwing those thoughts into your mind late at night, going, don't you remember the good old days? Remember how good it used to be back then? Remember how much money you had then or how many more friends you had back then or that relationship you had? Wasn't it great? It doesn't remind us of the hardships or the the things that were difficult or painful, but it reminds us of those things that we thought were good. And while you might be patiently waiting on the Lord's direction, this pull from your old life causes you to get in the boat and to go fishing again. Well, that choice for Peter, it causes six other disciples in the group to go astray. We see their names, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and then two other unnamed disciples go in the boat with them. See, Peter's decision impacted the walks of others. And our decision to go back to our old walk, to our old way of life, can impact our family, our spouse, our coworkers, our kids, our church family. It can pull others down with us. So Peter's decision to go back to that old way of doing things instead of doing things God's way leaves the group empty. They catch no fish. Look at verse 4. It says, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So these guys are out all night fishing, and they come up empty-handed. And as they're headed back to shore, they notice a man standing, standing there in the shoreline. Now we know, verse 4 tells us that it was Jesus, but these guys didn't know that yet. Right? Maybe they were too far away. Maybe it was the sun glare coming up in the morning. Maybe they were tired from working a night shift. Whatever it was, they didn't recognize Jesus. 
But I think beyond just the fact of being tired or whatever, I don't think they noticed it was Jesus because they weren't expecting him. They weren't expecting him to show up. See, this is true when we choose to go our own way rather than waiting on the Lord. It's so much harder to see Jesus because we're not looking for him. We don't see Jesus show up in our circumstances. We don't see him show up on our difficulties because we're not looking for him to show up. We're doing our own thing, going about our own business. And Jesus here, he stands on the shore and he calls out to them in the boat, children, do you have any food? And I picture this not as an angry master, right? Not as somebody rubbing in their failure to them, but a loving father. Hey, my children, did you find what you were looking for? You went out fishing, you spent all night on the lake, you worked and you toiled and you labored. Did you find what you wanted? Did you find purpose? Did you find meaning? Hey, Peter, did you find what you were looking for? And their simple answer is no. Now that in and of itself is a pretty incredible answer for fishermen. The correct fisherman answer was, uh, we had a monster in the net and it just got away, Jesus, right? Yeah, we don't have anything to show, but I can tell you, I've never fought a fish like I fought tonight, right? But they don't even say that. They are so broken and empty. They realize that their works led to nothing. It was so empty that they say, no, we didn't catch anything. Jesus then tells them, cast the nets out on the right side of the boat. Now, this would have been a very odd request, especially from a stranger. Again, they don't know that it's Jesus. So to have somebody show up on the shore and tell them, hey, throw your net out on the right side of the boat was, would have been really weird. Right? All commercial fishermen knew it was better to fish at night rather than in the morning time. It was better to fish out in the deeper part of the lake rather than the shallow part where they were at. There was no rhyme or reason as to whether one side of the boat was better than the other for catching fish. But I think what happened is it triggered a memory in their thoughts. It tugged at something in their hearts. They thought back to a moment a few years before this, a moment recorded in Luke chapter 5. Luke 5 tells us, Then he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So I just wonder if in this moment here in John, they think back to this time, another day where they had come up empty-handed. Another day they were out on the lake all night and worked so hard, but yet got skunked and came up with no fish. Jesus, in that moment, tells them to go back out into the lake, to cast down their nets. And they obey him, and they have this incredible catch. It says it's so many fish that their nets are bursting. They're struggling to pull it back up into the boat. What's interesting about this moment in Luke, this happened, this happened a couple years ago, that it is monumental in Peter's faith. It is foundational for his faith. You see, that story we read earlier about Peter having his name changed, that wasn't his official call to ministry. Jesus just met Peter he changed his heart. He changed the direction of his life, but he didn't get the call to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. That relationship was there, but it was still starting to grow. Peter, we read, he was in a commercial fishing operation with James and John. They owned boats and they worked together. And yet in that time, after a particularly bad day of work, Jesus asked Peter, can I use your boat? Maybe even the same boat there we're reading about here in John. 
Jesus teaches from that boat, performs an incredible miracle, and afterwards calls Peter into the ministry. Luke 5, verses 8 through 11 tell us when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats back to land, they forsook all and followed him. See, Jesus so radically changed Peter's life at this moment that he forsakes everything. He leaves it all behind to follow this calling to lead people to the Lord. It's not just a call for full-time ministry. It's not just, well, I'm not supposed to work at a church. It's a call for a different mission and purpose in life. He says, Peter, your mission is different. It's not to work and to make money and to do all these things the world tells you you have to do. It is a greater, a higher calling. And Peter immediately is changed in this moment. Now here, back on the same lake in John 21, maybe even back in the same boat, Jesus has a similar request. Hey, Peter, cast down your net. Their response here, well, that doesn't make sense. But nevertheless, at your word, I will do this. I was listening to another pastor teach on this section of scripture, and he said that sometimes it's hardest to hear Jesus talk to us about the things we consider ourselves to be experts in. It can be hard to take those things. These guys were fishermen. They knew what they were doing. And it can be hard to hear Jesus tell us things when we think we know what we're doing. You know, I'm good at my job. I'm a successful business person. I'm doing pretty well for myself. Or I've, I've read all the books. I know how to be a good, a good spouse or, or whatever. Or even I've been a Christian a long time. I know how to, to lead a Bible study group or how to serve the Lord. I'm pretty good at this. And in our expertise sometimes, we don't take the time to wait on God's direction. We don't look for that advice. We don't look for the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we think we're an expert in these things. We do things our way instead. Yet if we would change our hearts to wait on the Lord to seek his direction, and then say, nevertheless, at your word, I will do this, Lord, you are going to see blessings. Notice here, the disciples catch so many fish that once again, their nets are breaking. It's crazy to think about this. They were just on this lake. Their nets were just down, and they got nothing. Yet God was preparing a group of fish to be at this location at this precise moment so that he could show them his faithfulness. God does that so many times, right? Moving behind the scenes, working to where we can't see it, right? We may be going, what is going on? What is happening? God, how are you working? And the whole while he's working behind the scenes. I think of Philip. Philip in the book of Acts had a successful ministry. He was serving the Lord. And then God tells him, hey, go out to the desert. Go in the middle of nowhere, that one step at a time command. And Philip goes, okay, I guess I'll go out to the middle of nowhere, (laughs) So he goes out there, and what had God been doing? He was preparing the heart of an Ethiopian leader who had just been at a religious festival and just been hearing the rumors of what had been happening there in Jerusalem lately and had been reading the Bible, his Old Testament, and was going, who is this talking about? And God was moving. And so even though he called Philip to the middle of the desert, he then reveals to him, hey, Philip, there's somebody I need you to talk to. And Philip has that conversation, and the man ends up getting baptized, and we assume he goes back and starts a great work there uh, in, in his home country. See, God gives us these directions, and sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. It sounds crazy. 
It seems counterculture or costly, yet God is working behind the scenes, lining things up perfectly so that when we step out in faith and obey Him, there's blessing in it. See, when the Lord gives us direction and tells us to do something, it is always fruitful when we obey. Verse 7 then goes on to say, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come into land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. See, John figures out that it was Jesus that was on the shore. He was at the miracle recorded in Luke chapter 5, and he figured out that it couldn't have been anybody but Jesus that gave him that command. So he tells Peter, that's Jesus. And in typical Peter fashion, even though they're like a couple hundred yards from shore, he just gets in and starts swimming, right? I love Peter. He had that reputation for being a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, right? Just action without thought. But he gets in and he swims to shore and the rest of the disciples, they follow up in the boat. They get out and they're trying to drag this net to shore and they're struggling with it. It's heavy. We're going to learn in a minute it has over 150 fish in it. Now, one of the most common species of fish in the Sea of Galilee are Galilean tilapia. They're also known as St. Peter's fish. When I had an opportunity to go to Israel, I went with Calvary Chapel Greeley several years ago. Um, In just a few weeks, some of you may be able to go and do this as well. But we were able to go out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. I have one of my favorite pictures of all time is is Pastor Luke, my cousin, um, doing a Titanic on the front of that boat, right? That's one of my favorite pictures of all time. But out there on that sea afterwards, we got to go have a lunch at a restaurant, and they serve these St. Peter's fish, and they are big. Like, they take up a whole big plate. An average fish, St. Peter's fish, weighs about three and a half pounds. So we're talking five to 600 pounds of weight that these disciples are trying to, to drag in to shore, plus the weight of the waterlogged and soaking nets. And when they get to shore, as they're struggling, as they finally get up there, they find Jesus. He's cooking breakfast. And notice what he has. Look again at verse 9. He says, As soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and what? Fish. The very thing that the disciples were looking for, Jesus already had. He already had it. What are you looking for this morning? Are you looking for love, acceptance, identity? Are you looking for purpose or meaning in your life? Are you looking for direction? a way to get rid of your anxiety? Are you looking for hope or wisdom? You see, Jesus has all of that already. Our ways, our own direction, leads to empty nets. All the while, Jesus is standing on the shore with what you've been looking for this whole time. Do you want a relationship to fill up the loneliness in your heart? Jesus wants the closest relationship that there can be. Are you looking for wisdom on how to best love on and guide your kids? Jesus promises us that when we need wisdom, he will give us heavenly wisdom. Are you looking for a sense of purpose and meaning in your life? There's no greater purpose in this world than to be a disciple of Jesus and then to share that with others, be used for his glory to reach this world that desperately needs hope. Verse 10 tells us then, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And all there were, though there were so many, the net was not broken. Notice that even though Jesus already had what the disciples were looking for, 
he still invites them to participate in the work. He says, hey, I've got the fish, I've got the bread already, but go get some of your fish. Bring it and let's add it to the fire. You know, it's incredible that God allows us to be part of his work. You know, he's the one that gives us any ability or skills that, or talents that we may have, yet he still invites us to come alongside and be a part of what he's doing. It was a blessing this morning being able to see just all the different people and all the different roles here at the church, right? New teachers every service and greeters and those in the coffee shop and the security team and seeing the worship and in the back of the house and all these people that have come and said, I'm just going to give what I have to serve the Lord. It's a blessing that he allows us to be a part of that. Our action man, Peter here, decides to go drag the net by himself to Jesus. He says, go get some fish. So he takes the whole net and brings it there. Remember the other disciples, the whole group of six of them were struggling, and yet Peter goes all he-man and drags it by himself up to the shore. Church history will tell us that Peter was a bigger dude. He was a strong guy, but that can't explain how he could do by himself what six other men struggled to do. So how could Peter carry this net that was five to six hundred pounds? Well, it's because the Lord commanded him to do it. The Lord's commandments are his enablements. God's going to call you to do something. He's going to enable you to do it. That stirring that God has put on your heart during your morning devotions might seem impossible. But if he's going to call you to do it, he's going to give you the giftings and the ability to accomplish it. We see that verse 11 tells us that there were 153 fish in the net. It's interesting it's a specific number, very specific number. Luke chapter 5, that story we read about that happened a few years before this, it says a great number of fish. It doesn't say specifically how many. So why be so precise in saying 153 here? Well, some Bible teachers will say, well, it's symbolic, right? It represents anything from Peter to fish to converting the whole world to Christianity to a lot of other things. I personally think we need to be careful about being Christian mathematicians and reading too far into things and trying to come up with hidden meanings. Personally, I think this catch was so big, it was the biggest that Peter or John ever had that they remember as the number as clear as day. Remember that day we caught 153 fish? You know, as a commercial fisherman, to make your money, every single day you would have to count fish to sell at market. So every morning they would bring their catch in and they would count those fish to sell because more fish meant more money. So they were, they were used to counting fish. And I think that here when they counted this haul, they were blown away by how God had provided a blessing exceedingly abundantly above all that they could hope or imagine. Verse 12 tells, 12 tells us, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus invites them to come have breakfast. And it's kind of crazy. Jesus, this whole time, is serving them. He made the fire. He's cooking the breakfast. He's serving them this meal. Jesus had just been raised from the dead. He deserved to be put on a throne and worshipped and carried around town and have, you know, the trumpets blown before him and everybody singing his praises. And yet in this moment, he chooses to, to put on humility and to s still serve and love his disciples. And I love how he chooses to do that with us. We sang that in that song, God, you deserve the greater glory, yet how many times does the Lord meet our needs and serve us and take care of us through those different things we go through? 
I personally would have loved to have been at this breakfast, right? sitting around the fire, talking with Jesus, sharing these different things with him. I'm not necessarily a fan of fish for breakfast. I could have skipped that part, but, you know, just having this meal together, the closeness and the fellowship. Could you imagine the things that he talked to them about? As the disciples are sitting there, I'm sure they're full of a lot of different emotions. They're amazed at the miracle that they just saw. There was joy that they get to spend this time with Jesus. Maybe there was some shame or guilt for not waiting on him and going their own route instead. Think about Peter in particular. The last time we read about Peter sitting by coals or sitting by a fire was much different circumstances, right? Peter would come to the, to, the, to the courtyard outside of the Sanhedrin where Jesus was on trial, and it says he would warm himself by the coals. And if you sat around a campfire before, right, you stare into it. It's kind of mesmerizing. I can picture Peter staring into that fire, thinking about the last fire he had sat around, warming himself as he eventually denied Jesus multiple times. I'm sure he's filled with sorrow at that point. I'm sure he's broken about all these failures. And even though Jesus shows up in his life, he's still broken that, God, you can't possibly use anybody like me. But they're sitting there, and there's something about this breakfast that starts to heal and mend their hearts. You know, personally, I think breakfast is the best meal of the day. Breakfast is the only meal you can eat every single meal, right? In fact, last night, that's what we had for dinner. We had breakfast for dinner. It's so wonderful, right? The great philosopher Ron Swanson would famously say, there has never been a sadness that can't be cured by breakfast food. Wholeheartedly agree. Wisdom there. (laughs) But I think beyond that, (laughs) I think beyond that, the time spent with Jesus was what really cured the hurt in their hearts, right? As they sat with Jesus and he fed them, he was preparing them to take the next step in their journey of faith. If you go on to read the rest of the chapter at home, you'll see that Jesus has this time to restore Peter and call him and forgive him and let him know, Peter, I still have use for you. I still want to use you. Peter, I have great things for you to accomplish. But this time together, as they sat just around the fire, Jesus starts to prepare them to take the next step in their faith. It would be after this that they would head to a mountain in Galilee the place Jesus originally wanted to spend time with them, and he would tell them this. You can read it in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission, our core mission as believers, was given to them in this moment. See, when they originally made their decision to follow after their own path, to go their own route, they came up empty-handed. But when they waited on the Lord, they followed His command, He blessed them with this promise that He would be with us always that he would empower us, and that he would give us purpose and meaning in life. So this this morning, this day that you're here, what choice are you facing right now? What decision are you trying to make? What has the Lord placed upon your heart? What are you searching for in your life? See, just like the disciples, we have choices. We can go and we can try to do things our own way. 
We can try to go back to that old way of life or try to do things in our own strength. We can try to go about things and just not involve the Lord. And that, I can tell you, may be fun for a while, but it's going to lead to empty nets. All the while, it's Jesus that has what you really need. He's the one that has what you really want. Your way, the world's way, that's going to lead to emptiness, but Jesus' way of full is full of blessings. So our job is to be fed by his word, wait patiently for him. Listen to what he has to say through his word and through his Holy Spirit that he's given you. And then to step out in faith. Obey no matter how crazy or difficult it may seem and then watch what the Lord will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time in your word. And we thank you for just these verses that we've read. Lord, thank you for the the example of Peter or to my life, and I'm sure many people here are thankful for the example of Peter, a man that was not perfect, a man that struggled, a man that failed, a man that had difficulties, Lord, because I know that I struggle, I fail, I have difficulties. We all go through those periods where we turn our back on you. We go back to maybe the the old ways of life before we met you. We're tempted to throw in the towel. We're tempted to, to give it all up. Or maybe we, we believe the lie the enemy puts in our hearts that you don't love us anymore. Or we think there's no way that you could possibly be part of our future. And Father, if there's anybody here this today that's done that, that's walking their own route, that feels distant from you, that has turned their back on you, help them to see that their own pursuits will lead to nothing but empty nets. But yet, Jesus, you are waiting with everything that they're truly looking for. Jesus, and you don't force us to to follow after you. You don't force us to come back to shore. Yet you simply stand on the shore waiting for us to come back, waiting to serve us, to love us, to pour into us. Father, if there are those here today who have turned their back on you more, may they return. They come back to you and simply in their hearts cry out and say, Jesus, I'm sorry I went my own way. Sorry I tried to do things without you. Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that the promises of your word are true and I can hold on to them. Thank you that you have a calling in my life, a greater sense of purpose and meaning, that I'm to be a light, to go make disciples in this world, to be, uh, make disciples in my family, to make disciples at my work and in my community. Jesus, for each one of us, help us to see these things that you're stirring in each one of our hearts, to be obedient, to step out in faith and follow them. Lord, I pray just a blessing on Calvary Chapel of Greeley that you would continue to use this church, continue to grow this church, and continue to make this a a light, a city on a hill that shines forth in your darkness, that brings hope to this community, that loves and serves its people. And that this would be a place full of your word and full of hope and full of your spirit. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time in your word. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.